This is Pastor Aaron at Oasis Baptist Church, and thank you for checking us out online. I pray that this message is an encouragement to you. Well, it has been good to be in church this morning, and I'm excited to dive into this uh, passage of Scripture, really passages of Scripture this morning. And uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for the many who are watching online, which is very encouraging. Uh, If it's really bad, we apologize. This is our first ever live online uh, experience that is actually like, well, maybe our second serious one. This Thursday, Dan and I did a fairly serious Oasis Live. Um, Normally, some of you are like, what is he talking about? Uh, Me and Dan, every Thursday at some point in the afternoon, do an Oasis Live where we just give information. Most of them are really uh, dumb. And uh, But this week we did a little bit more serious tone to it, uh, but uh, this would be, I guess, our second serious Oasis Live, right? All right, any anyway, rate. Thank you for being here. We are starting a brand new series entitled Rescue that will lead us up to Easter, and really it's kind of how it's working. We are going to be uh, concluding and finishing the series basically on the same week uh, as we move out of Easter into uh, the weeks to come after that. But the thing about rescue is this, is that we typically do not understand or realize that we ultimately need to be rescued until what? It's too late. We often don't even realize that we are in a need of rescue until it's too late. Right? You're walking down the street. If somebody would just stop you before you tripped over your feet and made yourself look like a fool, right? No one does that. We fall. Somebody has it on video, and then it goes online. You're walking with your phone in the middle of the mall. You're talking, you're texting, you're doing your thing. I wish and I bet the person that fell into the pool because they could not get off the phone wishes somebody would have just stopped them before they realized, oh, that's a fountain and I'm not supposed to be there. I shared this online on Thursday with the idea of rescue. When Mindy and I were in Jerusalem, this is a very embarrassing moment, and Mindy will love it because this isn't something I share often, but have you ever been in one of the roundabouts, you know, the big glass things, you go around in circles, right? It's a door. Well, the outside, I don't know what they're called. The outside has the rounded, you've got the door, and the thing goes around in circles. Well, I'm in a hurry. Our bus is about to leave. I come to it. You can't make it go faster. You can't. I'm like trying to go. So we get to this place and I'm like, sweet, boom. That piece of glass didn't move. I wish somebody would have stopped me before that. I'm glad nobody saw me. At least my wife didn't see me. I had a red mark on my forehead. There was my face implant, no joke, in the glass Six hours later, when we came back from our cruising around wherever we were that day in Jerusalem, I wish somebody would have stopped and just rescued me before that happened. You know, it's being serious. It's financial situations, health situations, all of these other situations that it would be great if somebody would come in and save the day before any of that ever happens. But the reality is, nine out of ten times, 
we don't even fully understand that we need that rescue. One of the things that we can love and hate about the plan that God has placed in motion is that yes, we understand that there is a plan and yes, we can <coughs> excuse me, read God's scripture and yes, we can know a lot of the things. Listen, we all know that there's coming a day where the end is near, right? And we can go through scripture and we can see all of the things that God has for us, but what does God's word tell us? That no man will know the day or the hour and we can just begin to think through it. Theologians can tell you what they think that they know. Everybody can put all of these pieces together to the best of our earthly ability, but the reality is we really don't know what that's going to look like. Do you know the days that we're living today are absolutely glorious compared to what some of those days are going to look like? But yet we are in the middle of God's plan right now. But the hard part is I can't see it. I, I can understand it to the sense that I understand it, but I really don't understand it. And we're coming to a part of Scripture, and we're coming to this, uh, this idea that, or not an idea, but what, what God has placed in motion is that there's a whole lot of people that are coming up to the point of Jesus' death upon a cross and the resurrection that would come that were all in the middle of God's plan. Many of them had been told about it. The disciples, Jesus told them, hey, there is coming this day. These things are all going to happen, but they didn't fully grasp it, Right? Just like you and I, we know that something's about to happen at some point, but we don't fully understand it. Even though we have, we have the entire word of God, they didn't have that. And so we come to this point of history, of, of the scriptures, and we begin to see that, that God has placed things in motion put people in certain circumstances that are about to make decisions that are getting the ball rolling for really those final moments of Jesus's earthly ministry, where God is about to set in motion the plan for all mankind to have salvation in and through his son, Jesus Christ, and the blood that would be shed and the resurrection that would come. See, in this series of rescue, we are going to take a look at the final acts of an incredible journey that makes salvation available to all of us. This journey, this plan that has always had you and I in it. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Just for a moment. God's plan has always had you in it. It's kind of crazy. Not like, oh, man, I didn't know Aaron was going to be born on June 9th. It's coming up, a couple months. It, it didn't, like this stuff that we're facing today, it wasn't like God was sitting up in heaven and was like, oh no! Which is a very cool story. It was all in God's plan and none of it has caught God off guard. The children of Israel going up to the Red Sea. Ah, what do we do? Moses, why did you do this to us? Hey, watch this, guys. Cool. Boom. Get to the other side. Man, that's pretty awesome. We worship God. Then what do we do? God, where are you now? See this. None of it caught God off guard. 
And so as we come to this story, we come to this picture of what God is doing, this journey, this plan, it's always been and it's always involved people to make God's plan happen. Some of which are extremely faithful people that love the Lord and some of which do not love the Lord. But they're all a part of the plan that God has set in motion. See, the plan has been shared to his closest of friends and to those that loved him. But if we pick up the story, I do not believe that this is on the screen and I apologize, but if we pick up the story, if you have your Bible, John chapter 11, starting in verse number 45. The story is taking place. The the actions, the plan is in motion. And in John chapter 11, in verse 45, and this is also in some of the other gospels, and we're really gonna go uh, fluidly back and forth through the gospels this morning. But in John eleven forty five, then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests, listen, then gathered the chief priests and Pharisees a council and said, what do we, for this man doeth many miracles. What are we gonna do with this guy? Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. People are going, whoa, what are we gonna do with this guy? He's doing many miracles. If we let him thus alone, if we leave him alone, all men will believe on him. So here these leaders come together. If we just let this go, everyone's gonna believe on this guy. Certainly we can't do that, right? All men will believe on him in 48. And Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation." Again, God's putting people in place. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, they took counsel. What does it say? For to put him to death. There was a plan that was being put in motion. This plan was being set in motion that that God, that Jesus would die. All of these people came together. And at that same time, at that same exact time, we come to verse number 55, which is where we'll kind of start with some of the thoughts and the points that will take place this morning. But in verse 55, it says this as we continue. And I do believe that those might be on the screen. Yes. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple, what think ye that he will not come to the feast? Hey, is Jesus coming? Did you think Jesus wouldn't come? Are we, we're asking these questions. Think ye that He would not come to the feast, 57. Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. Let us pray 
And then we'll continue in scripture this morning. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the plan that you've set in motion long ago. We thank you for what we're about to see. Even how, in in many ways, I've looked at this this week, even how it correlates to today, that there was a plan that was set in motion. There is some hysteria. There's some fear. There's anxiety that is taking place in our culture and our community today. But yet you have put all of these things in motion and you've called us just to be faithful to you, to continue to walk with you. God, give us some clarity this morning through your words. Speak to us. God, that you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So we see here in 55 there at the end of John chapter 11, the Passover was near. Many are coming to Jerusalem. They estimate somewhere anywhere between one and two million people that the, the theologians and others would say that were traveling to Jerusalem. Jesus would have been one of them. And what were they doing? They were going to celebrate the feasts and remember how God had rescued the children from Israel or of Israel and brought them out of slavery and bondage in in Egypt. And I'm not going to go into a great depth of the Passover and the study of the Passover, but we, most of you know the story. They took, they, they, did their sacrifice. They take the blood, put it on the doorpost. So then they would be passed over and that would ultimately bring them out of Egypt eventually there. And so we know that that was going on and they would celebrate that year after year after year. To this day, they still celebrate that and they they do that through food and they do that through a feast. And here what was taking place, what we're gonna look at here in just a moment is Jesus was going up and he was gonna go to Bethany and Bethpage there and he was gonna have a dinner with Lazarus, with Martha and with Mary and, and some of his closest friends, the disciples were gonna be with him. And there in that moment, All that was taking place was just a simple dinner. It was a gathering. Now, it was the the biggest dinner, and so they were going to gather together. And really, what was taking place was Mary and Martha, and they were coming to say, Jesus, thank you. What had just taken place? Lazarus was just raised from the dead. Listen, I'm going to guess that if, if you could... Have Jesus over to your house shortly after your brother was raised from the dead? You would go, hey, come on over here. I just want to say thank you. I want to kiss your feet. I want to do whatever it is. I want to say thank you and let you know how much we are grateful for you. We love you. Thank you for doing that. That's what was taking place. So they would sit at a, at a, at a dinner table, and their dinner table was different than ours. I'm not going to go into great detail, but you've got basically a, a U-shape. And they didn't sit in chairs like you're sitting in. They would, they would basically lay down with, their, with one of their elbows on the ground and their, their face closest to the table. And so their feet would be out. They would be something similar to this at the table is how they would have even taken of the, the Lord's Supper. So they would have been in some way that way, and they were always sat in a specific way when you look at the Lord's table and it says that one of their heads was on Jesus' chest. It was because of how they laid and how they would have went when they would have leaned back. So anyway, so here's where we are. They're having dinner. There was no rush. They were simply there to love on one another, to care for one another, and say thank you to Jesus. But there was a plan that was taking place right here at this place. Over here you had the the men that were meeting. They were plotting to kill Jesus. They were figuring this thing out. Over here you have the disciples and Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus having this dinner. 
The plan was in motion. What took place there? We'll look at that here this morning. But today, into this, I want us to stop and I want us to think of the many, many things that God is in the midst of doing, not just then, but God's plan of rescue that's taking place today. See, in the midst of our circumstance, in the midst of your circumstance, we get angry, we get frustrated, we roll our eyes. God, why would you do this? Why would this illness happen? Why would this finance thing happen? Why would that happen? Why would the other happen? And people all around us are saying what? It's in God's plan. God understands. God has it. And we're going, one more person tells me that God knows, right? The reality is he does, and we understand that. But you know it was in that moment that God's plan was for you to rise up, for you to do what God had called you to do so that your friend, that your coworker, that your neighbor, that your loved one, that your whatever, when he saw you living in a godly manner, when he saw you having peace, when he saw you having comfort in the midst of all the things that you were doing, it was that plan that God had you to go through so that you could touch this person or you could touch that person or you could touch that person because it was them seeing you being a light, being Christ in the midst of a situation that was literally horrible and horrific, but they needed that to happen so that their rescue could take place. See, it happens today the same that that it did then. This was taking place so that God, Jesus, would eventually end up where? Upon a cross, rising again from the dead that we might have everlasting life. So let's dive in. I have completely obliterated all of my notes, so I'm going to find myself. But let's dive in here really quick this morning. We're going to look at John chapter 12. We're going to look at a little bit of Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 14, Matthew 21, Matthew 26. All of the stories that we're touching, this story of Mary and breaking the, uh, the ointment on Jesus' head and anointing him. And then further, as they begin to go in, the triumphal entry uh, here's what's crazy, and this is where I'm a little bit not right in my head. I'm really trying to take like two or three sermons and put them into one. So uh, we'll see where this goes. But uh, stick with me this morning. In God's most gracious rescue plan, he used a humble act of compassion. In God's most gracious rescue plan, he used a humble act of, compla- of compassion. We truly are coming into a time where it's really the pinnacle of Jesus' life. It's why that he came. It's all of history that is about to change in the next several days. But yet, none of them were fully aware of what was taking place. It's, it's mind-boggling. But it's no different today in the circumstances that we face. But none of them were fully aware of what was taking place. So he walks into Simon the leper's home to enjoy a dinner, uh, looking like uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, Simon, 12 others, the disciples for sure. We're not sure if there's anybody else outside of that that was there. But that dinner was just a place where they could come together, where they could love on Jesus, where they could thank Jesus They would recline and talk, and Martha was doing what Martha was doing. What is Martha doing? Serving. Martha is serving, and she has cooked and prepared a meal, and she is just serving. If you go back to Luke, right? Just 
couple chapters previous, Martha's a little upset. Jesus, I'm doing all these things and Mary is just sitting here and Jesus kind of rebukes him, rebukes her a little bit. Here there is no rebuke. Martha is genuinely just sitting basically at the feet of Jesus and serving Jesus this meal. She's loving and serving and honoring him because Jesus had just raised her brother. Really, it's what we had just talked about in Galatians, if you recall. Galatians 5.13, I've used this so many times in the last several weeks and months. We've been set free to what? In love, serve one another. In her love, she was serving Jesus. She was serving the others. It was her heart. And then the next situation that we look at here in John chapter 12 It is no longer just Martha. But as we come into this, we see that Mary and her act of love really kind of takes over the whole room. And in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, I'm going to read some of that there. It says, Jesus, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and bear what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my burying. Hath she kept this? For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. And so as we look at this, we see Mary, or Mary breaks this, this jar of, of, of ointment, this perfume, and, and begins to pour it on him. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus responds just as much. I, verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, this story that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. It took over the room that day. I imagine Mary maybe was one of the more emotional people. Whether she wore her emotions on her sleeve or she was just that tender-spirited person that was just always genuine and loving and caring and compassionate. But always she's mentioned with some form of compassion. In John 11, she fell at Jesus' feet weeping. In Luke chapter 10, she sat at Jesus' feet listening to his every word. Here she does something that I'm not sure many people would do. Because see, Mary just didn't take a, a bottle of perfume and dump it out on Jesus' head and down to his feet. That bottle of perfume, this is a beautiful bottle of perfume. It's worth about as much right now in our culture. That bottle of perfume was almost her entire net worth. 
Everything that this woman was worth, everything that she had, life savings, was literally in that bottle of perfume. It was a year's worth of her wages was the cost of that spikenard, that perfume. It was very expensive. It was very costly. But yet she took it, she broke it, and she poured it over Jesus. It wasn't something that she had planned, but in the moment, the Spirit of God, she became overwhelmed. I believe that she was just so moved with compassion that she came to Jesus and she poured it upon him. Here it says just her feet. If you go through some of the other passages, it speaks of it being on his head. And she does what? At his feet, she takes her hair. She begins to wipe Jesus' feet. The fragrance. What is mentioned all throughout the scriptures The fragrance, right? The aroma, the sacrificial, at at the sacrifices there was always, it speaks of a, a fragrance, and throughout scriptures it speaks so often of the fragrance, and that fragrance that filled the room, her act of humble compassion. She simply took 12 ounces of ointment and poured it upon Jesus. But it was all that she had to do. It was all that she could do. And what she didn't know was in that moment, she was a part of God's plan that was progressing forward to a greater picture than she never would have known. See, you're a part of God's plan for a greater picture than something you can ever have known. Your actions are greater than you will ever have known because the person that is watching you is waiting for you. My daughter was crying last night, and I don't know why she was crying. I think it was just tired and all kinds of things, but she was crying, and she said, Dad, some of my friends at school are making fun of me because if I do certain things, they'll say, oh, you're not allowed to do that because you're a Christian. And my heart is breaking. I'm like, oh, that's my baby girl. But what she doesn't know at 10 years old and what you don't know at whatever age you are and the actions that you are taking is by her being faithful, Lord willing, she continues to be faithful and that she continues to act as a Christian and loves, her actions will one day cause that person to look back and say, there was a girl in school that used to do this. See, there was a guy at work that acted this way, that showed this compassion, that did this thing, and it's the rescue that was taking place that we did not expect. My prayer for a coffee shop down the street a year and a half ago, I never expected to take place what has taken place for me in my world over the last three months of my life. But God knew by me going and grabbing a drink that I don't care for because I don't like coffee, sitting at a coffee shop, ministering to families, several of them have walked into this building. I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with several of them. I don't know what God will do in that circle but it's just being willing to be faithful. God has the rescue plan in motion. See, God had the plan in motion here for Mary to, to pour that ointment on Jesus' head. What did the disciples do? The disciples got angry. Why would you do this? They were indignant 
It says in Matthew 26, here in John, it speaks specifically of Judas. But in Matthew 26, 10, it says, When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For you have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in, the, in that she hath poured this ointment on my body. Listen, she did it for my burial. Jesus was saying, my burial is coming. There's coming a day, not right this moment, but in the near future, Jesus was about to be gone. Jesus was going to go hang on a cross, and he was going to be buried. He says, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached, in the whole world there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. There was, in that moment, what do we see? We saw her pour out love, or her pouring out her love for Jesus, for her Savior. We saw a disciple who said, what are you doing? And what, did, what happened then? This Judas would leave the table, and in that moment, the coming moments, that evening, what would he do? He would go to all of the men that were plotting to kill, and he would say, hey, what do we got to do? Let's make this happen. Why? All because one woman decided to just be faithful and say, oh, I love you, God. Jesus, I love you. And God's plan was in motion. This rescue was in motion. And it had always been. The second thought this morning, in God's most gracious rescue plan, he used a humble act of compassion. But yet he was also about to unleash a declaring act of prophecy. I'm gonna try to quickly go through this here this morning. But as we follow the story, it leads us to verse number 12, beginning of the triumphal entry. So Judas had met in the night with the chief priests to give up Jesus. His time to die was just around the corner. But who was still in control? God is still in control. Because what did the, what did the chief priests and all of them come together? What was their plan? They were going to kill Jesus when? Does anybody know? After the Passover. We are not going to wait. Do you know the uproar of nearly a million to two million people in this community, in this town? Do you know the uproar that would take place if we bring Jesus in and we kill him now? Let's wait until after Passover. What did Jesus say? Because what is Jesus? Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. Jesus is the ultimate Passover that when we take the blood of Jesus and we pour it upon us that we become white as snow, that we have the everlasting life, right? Jesus said, no, I'm still in control regardless of what you think. So now Jesus does what? Jesus sets in motion a plan that he had in motion. And he comes riding in. He says, hey, you two, go grab out here, go grab a donkey. And a colt, a foal, right? A foal? Whatever they're called. I... Go grab those and bring them. That was part of God's prophetic plan. Matthew 21, 5, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. The prophecy was in place. There was prophetic time in this. You can go back to Daniel. There was prophecy that was taking place. Here, there's the, him uh, riding in on a donkey. How many kings ride in on a donkey? A donkey. Now, my daughter loves donkeys. 
but it's really not high upon the horse chain, right? The king of kings, not just any king, the king of kings, the lord of lords, comes riding in on a donkey. It says that the disciples would put their cloak or they put their clothes on top of the donkey as a sign of, of reference and, and honor and that they would, they would lay out clothes and that they would lay out, uh, the, they would begin to wave the palm branches and they would do all of these things that we see all as a part of God's prophetic plan. They began to hear that Jesus was in town. They began to fill the streets. Many would throw down their garments on the ground. Others would wave tree branches, hailing him as what? King. They would say what? Hosanna! Hosanna! The branches were from palm trees, which is symbolic of salvation and joy. And picturing the magnificent tribute that the great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and people and tongue one day will present before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches, it says in Revelation chapter 7. There was great excitement. There was an ecstasy as the multitude proclaimed praising the Messiah to the rabbi from Galilee who they had watched and heard him teach with great authority, who they had watched and seen him heal the disease and the sick and raise the dead. He was completely surrounded by thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of people crying out, Hosanna, these same people that would cry out, crucify him, crucify him. They were crying for the Messiah's deliverance. They were pleading, save us now is what Hosanna means. Because why? They were waiting for their king to come in and they knew that he would come in on a donkey. But what were they looking for? They were looking for an earthly king that was gonna come in and rule the day, that was gonna come in and take them away, that was gonna come in and be this power and this might. And they were waiting for all of these things. So they were screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. The prophecy had been in place. Today, again, isn't much different. People proclaim and cry out, Hosanna. Literally, save me, but never. What did they miss? They never come to a place of saying, God, I surrender all of me to you. See, there's many that will say, Lord, Lord. But here, they all said, Hosanna, save me. Hosanna, Hosanna, you are God, you are Messiah. They were screaming all of these things. They were waving the palm branches. They had put out the clothes in honor of him. They had done all the things that was declared back in the Old Testament that they had known. But they would never Completely, not all, but most would never have completely just surrendered everything that they had to him. Listen, today, there's going to be people in the moments that we're living today that will say, oh God, I need you. God, I need you. God, would you come and rescue me? But many will never just surrender everything to him. I've been talking to a young man for some time now and 
one of the things he just keeps asking questions, and I say it's, it's a complete surrender of you. It's not saying I believe in God. It's not believing all of a sudden, yes, I know that you are there, and I know that you have acted, and you've shown me this, and I see all these things. No, it's, it's in that belief, but it's in a complete surrender that, God, you are the God of gods and the King of kings, and you are my salvation. You are my Savior. You are the rescue that I need. Listen, none of us understood that we needed rescued until one day our eyes were opened to the reality that we couldn't do it on our own. It's God's most gracious rescue plan that he used a humble act of compassion, a declaring act of prophecy, and finally this morning, a Jesus-enduring love. Every time I read this passage in Luke chapter number 19, it gets me just a little bit, and I apologize if it's not on the screen. I don't think I highlighted it to be put up there. But in Luke nineteen thirty nine, and some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. See, these people, the, the, those that were wanting to, to cause havoc and to heap, heap havoc upon them, the Pharisees and the others, they said, hey, you know this. You need, to, you need to cast them down. You need to tell them to stop crying out. You need to tell them to quit. You know that they ought not be doing those things. And he says what? If they don't, the rocks will cry out. And it's right after that as he continues to go through the town that he gets to a place and it says that he can see the city of Jerusalem and what does he do? He begins to weep. That word weep is literally pretty much the, the simplest of words but yet it means so much. He couldn't have cried anymore. He couldn't have had more hurt in his heart and it says he wept over the city. They said, rebuke him. He says, I tell you, if these. He isn't saying if, but when. When they stop crying out, the rocks will cry out. What happened shortly thereafter? Those cheers of Hosanna went to crucify and it wasn't long after those cheers of crucify went to dead silence as Jesus said, it is finished. And the rocks did cry out. They cried out. All of the earth went silent. Everything went black. And they began to look at each other and say, oh, truly this is the Son of God. Jesus' act of compassion in this moment, of looking over the people and just weeping and saying, God, God, you know. God, his heart never stopped. Listen, this morning, I don't know where you sit. I don't know where you're, what you're facing today. I don't know any of these things. But you are in the midst of God's rescue plan, and what are we doing about it? Do I cry out? Do you look over your city? Do you look over the people that you work for or work with? Do you, do you look at your family? Do you do any of those things and weep and say, God? He said, 
forgive them for they know not what they do. They just beat him to a place that they didn't even recognize his face, but he said, forgive them. They know not what they have done. Listen, this morning, I don't know what you're expecting to get, but God's plan is in motion right now. All of the people that are in the story that we have just looked at They knew of all of the things, just like all of us know of these things. But they certainly didn't know it in the manner that it was happening right then. Mary didn't know by bowing upon a knee and just simply saying, God, I love you. God, I love you. And because I do, I don't even know why. I'm just pouring this over you, and I just want to wipe your feet with my hair. And Jesus says, it is for my burial that is about to take place. Judas' true colors shine through, and he leaves that evening, and he goes and does this. The act of prophecy that had to happen, that he would ride in on a donkey, that they would scream out, Hosanna, Hosanna. All of these things had to happen because of all of the plan that set in motion. God and Jesus walk weeping over top of a city and saying, God, you know it had to happen. The rescue plan was in motion. Listen, this morning, the rescue plan is in motion. We can praise him for it, but we can also look in the mirror and say, Aaron, if it were up to me, Would I be bowing at Jesus' feet? Would I be leaving because I just, I believe, but I don't truly believe and have surrendered everything. Judas believed in who Jesus was. He didn't surrender everything. Do we weep over people? We're in the midst of God's perfect plan. And God has chosen you and me to be his mouthpiece. God has chosen you and me as people, as he always has, to make a difference into the places where we are today. I believe that today's passage of scripture is absolutely exactly what is needed for us today. My heart is that the church would rise up and just be who the church is supposed to be. But it only happens as we just say, God, I surrender it all to you. I don't understand it. But here I am. And I'm willing to go. This morning I look around here and I see face after face after face of people that I know. I'm going to guess the many that are watching online are probably many of church families that usually might be sitting in here. But let me ask you this. Have you come to a place to recognize that Jesus has come in, Jesus has flown in to say, hey, you put your name there, Aaron, it's time that you come home to me.
Aaron, would you give your life to me in salvation? Aaron, would you stop worrying about you and just give it all to me? Aaron, would you, would you focus on me because your neighbor is waiting for you to be what I have for you to be? Aaron, you're a part of my rescue plan for those that are around you. Go and be it. Again, thank you for checking us out online. If you have never been to one of our services, it would be such an honor to have you as one of our guests. If you have made any decision today, our staff would love to celebrate with you. Would you please email us at info at oasislv.com. Dot church.